0: morning. This morning I'll be reading from Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 be on page 965 in the Pew Bibles. The former account I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the Apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Good morning it is good to see each of you if you're a guest again we welcome you it encourages us that you're here and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you we want to remind everyone uh that our outreach reorganization is today and there's a luncheon following this service and if you have participated in outreach or you hope to the next six months uh be sure and and be a part of the luncheon that is uh that is available and also i've been told to invite any of you that would like to come to to be at the luncheon immediately following this service. We have a lot to be thankful for. We've had a tremendous and just wonderful blessed Vacation Bible School. What a blessing it's been to be with the kids. We're thankful for them. God has blessed us abundantly with great kids and this past week abundantly with kids. Uh, We had, I believe, over 500 children every day of Vacation Bible School. And along with that, there were so many helpers, some young adults and some very much into the retirement years and everywhere in between. And for each of you uh, that gave, whether it was a day or all days of the week, and those of you that dropped things off to help and came earlier or set up late or or just uh, your prayers, your support in every way, we say thank you. It was a great success, and we pray that the seeds that were planted will be a blessing to those children and to the families uh, that we reached in directly through their children. And so continue to pray about that, and uh, we pray that eternal good will definitely Uh, come out of this wonderful week. Also, we are mindful of a question that we started asking several years ago, and that is the question, if the Mount Juliet Church of Christ ceased to exist, would anyone in the community notice or care? Now you say, well, we would notice. Well, of course we would because we're real close to each other and we're thankful for each other, but it really reveals a selfishness that we would have within us if it were true that no one out in the community would even notice. And when we think about the second greatest commandment to love our neighbor as ourself, there ought to not be a better neighbor in this community than the congregation of Mount Juliet. The Lord's church ought to be the best neighbor in the neighborhood. And so we've tried really hard to reach out and to show God's love unconditionally. And surely we can continue individually and collectively to do greater things all the time at this. And so one of the things that we want to do this year that is a little bit different, and we're really looking forward to it, is we want to participate in what we call Supply in July. And uh, we're thankful for John Michael and the work that he has done in organizing this. He's gone to the ele- the area elementary schools and he's talked with the guidance counselors about students in the school that could use help and support to be ready for school in August. Those guidance counselors have contacted families and received uh, their permission and they're very grateful that we're willing to help. And so next Sunday, we will uh, think about the second greatest commandment. Uh, we will think about Uh, The love that God would have us to have for our neighbor. And also, in that, John Mike will introduce to us what will look very similar, uh, like. an angel tree situation where we'll be able to take a child and whether individually or a few families together, however you want to do that uh, we'll be able to help supply the needs that that child will have uh, for school to start in August and we're grateful to be able to do that and we want to give God all the glory to be able to do that and uh, we also want to start a relationship with these families that will let them know who God is and what His love looks like and uh, see where they and God go from there. And so we're thankful for that. We look forward to that. Uh, Be here next Sunday and be ready to think about the love of God, but also the love that he'd have us to have for each other. And we look forward to just one way that we can do that in our very own community. Here we are thinking about souls. That's not new if you've been around here lately. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of this year, we said that we were going to be soul-focused all year long. And I don't know if you've noticed on a calendar, but today is midway through. Today is the halfway mark of a Sunday throughout the year of this calendar year. And so for six months solid now, we've been so focused. And really what today is, is just one of those sermons that kind of would be the same type of sermon if we were starting all over at the beginning again. This is just one of those to help us refocus, to help us remember what are we about if we are about the business that our Lord is about. You remember that Jesus taught us that if we gain the whole world and lost our own soul, that it would be no profit whatsoever. There is nothing that we could give in exchange for our soul. And so we want to value our soul, but we also want to value the souls of others. And we want to realize that a soul that is in right relationship with God is a tremendous blessing. And a soul that is not in a right relationship with God is is at a horrific risk. And we want to do all we can do for people to have as we have sung several songs back to back about souls going home. That's what we all wanna do is all of our souls when we leave this physical body to go home to be with our Lord. The Lord's continual ministry, what would that look like from us and with a soul focus? When St. Peter's Cathedral was being built in London, it is said that a London Times reporter went in to interview, to get progress about how this great building was being constructed. And went to one of the particular workers who was working under the great architect Christian, uh, Christopher Wren was his name, and went up to one of his workers and and asked him the simple question, What are you doing? And the man was putting one of the great stones into the proper slot. And he simply said, I'm putting this rock where it belongs. And then he walked up to another man who was doing the very same job. And he said, sir, what are you doing? And the man paused and he looked around at the reporter and he said, I'm making a day's wage. And then he walked to a third man who was doing the very same thing. And he said, sir, what are you doing? And with a smile, he said, I am helping Christopher Wren build St. Paul's Cathedral. Isn't that interesting how perspective could very well change the quality of our work, the duration of our work, definitely the attitude toward our work. This morning, if you are a member of the Lord's church, I want to ask you a simple question. Why are you? Why are you a member of the Lord's church? We might go to one person that would answer, well, I'm just buying time until this earth is over. We might go up and ask someone else the very same question and they might say, well, I'm just waiting for my heavenly paycheck. And we might go up to a third one that could honestly answer, I'm here to join Jesus in the work that he is doing to finish the Father's work. Why are you a part of the Lord's church? The Lord invites us to leave the world and the idea sanctified is to leave the world and to be set apart, but it's set apart for a purpose. Why are you set apart from the world? Are you just buying time into the second coming? Are you only just waiting around thinking about, I can't wait for the paycheck that God owes me? Or do you really believe that you are a part of the master's work You know, if we were to look at some of the great artists, Rembrandt or Michelangelo, and and we were to look at their work, none of us here could probably imagine them being partially done with a great masterpiece and then turning to one of us and saying, with the brush, would would you like to finish his face? Would, Would you like to finish this nighttime skyline? You know, most of us would say, I can't do that. I'm not an artist. I I would mess up what you have to do. Do you realize there's no greater masterpiece than God's kingdom work? Do you realize how God can take imperfect people and make wonderful works out of them? God can take those imperfect people working together and make a majestic kingdom work, a work that can transform the world, a work that can change people's eternity. And literally Jesus Christ is handing off the brush and he's saying, I want you to be a part of it. I invite you into this. And we should feel like it's a heavy weight of responsibility. We ought to go in with a little bit of easiness, if you will, to be able to say, you want me to be a part of this work? And the Lord would say, most assuredly, that's what the church is all about. The church is about people that want to be saved, that come to the Lord, that say, I want to also join in this work. And the work is seeking and saving those that are lost. Look, if you will, back again to that text that's already been capably read this morning. I'd like for you to notice just the first few phrases of Acts, the first chapter, verse one again. And let's define a few things here. The former account that is talking about the gospel of Luke uh, that is talking about Luke made O Theophilus. That's who he was writing, the gospel of Luke. And now also this book of Acts he's writing to Theophilus. And notice he says, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, Some scholars say that if it were not for the scrolls being so lengthy, because a scroll could be so long that it would become cumbersome to be able to read and to carry about, and they said if it were not for the length of them, then more than likely Luke and Acts might have been one volume. But yet, we have them in two volumes. You see, the book of Acts itself, when it's written out in scroll form, is 35 feet long. That's from about the second or third bench right here to about the second or third bench right here. Now, you imagine the scroll being twice that length. It would just be considered too long. And so what we have here is we have a volume one and a volume two. And so it's very easy for individuals to say, well, volume one is about the history of Jesus Christ and volume two is about the history of the church. But is that true? I mean, is that true in the sense that's all it is? Is that why it's given to us? Is it given to us just to be history of Jesus history of the church? Or is there a powerful meaning that transforms our life and gives us purpose? A truth that is recorded in volume one and volume two that makes a significant difference in our eternity, but our very purpose while we're on this earth before eternity comes. You see, it's powerful when he uses the word begin here in this phrase that we just read. Look again there at Acts 1 where he says that this is of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And what he's talking about there, if I'd read the full phrase there, he's talking about the former account. In other words, he's talking about, Theophilus, if you read Luke, you have all that Jesus taught and all that he did in the beginning. And you look at that and you say, "Well, now wait a minute. That doesn't really make sense that that's that's all he did in the beginning because Luke goes from literally the birth of Jesus to him being 12 years old, to his baptism, the beginning of his public ministry, the temptation, the ministry of his teaching, his parables, his miracles, and then up to the point of his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and Luke even includes his ascension And then what does he say right here? He writes to Theophilus and he says, that's the beginning. And it leaves us scratching our head. (laughs) Luke, what do you mean that's the beginning? He's left this earth. He's been born. He's done his ministry. He's died. He's resurrected. He's ascended. And that's the beginning. And that's right. That's exactly what he means. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But when we think about just a moment, for right now, when he was on this earth, what did he do? What was his purpose? What was he here to fulfill? I'd like for us to just take and just kind of drop through a series of passages here that helps us understand God, his heart, and his mission of why he would send Jesus. And when Jesus was on His Earth, this earth, what was his mission? And what did he invite us to be a part of? Several months ago, you and I studied in pretty good depth Ezekiel the 18th chapter. I want to remind you of verse 23 as we see God's heart here. God said, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Listen, if my mindset is God loves condemning wicked people, I have misunderstood God's heart. He answers that question in verse 32. He says, for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. To what degree does God want souls to be saved and to be spared of condemnation? John 3.16 gives us an idea of how important it was to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But now with that sacrifice, what was he accomplishing? Notice this. That whoever believes in him should not perish, not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not God's will that the wicked should perish. So he gave his son for the wicked so that they would not perish. And when we see Jesus in Luke the second chapter in 49, he's 12 years old and his parents have been searching for them. And they ask him a question and he answers back with a question and notice how he understands his purpose when he said to them, why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? And it would be a literal translation to leave off the word business. The original Greek simply says, don't you know that I must be about my father? In other words, what's being implied here is that the business of the father was to send Jesus to save the world. And so he's saying, don't you know, I must be about my father. This is what my father wants done. I must be about my father. And he was about his father. In John, the fourth chapter, you remember when he felt that he had to pass through Samaria, he knew that there was a woman at the well that he wanted to talk with. And so as the others went to buy lunch for him, he stayed there and he showed the woman at the well that he wasn't just a man or a Jew or a great prophet, but that he was the Messiah. And she was so excited, she went out and told others and they came back and, and Jesus was able to evangelize an entire town. When the disciples came back with lunch, notice what his answer was. It reveals so much about how he understood his purpose, John 4 and 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now notice this phrase, and to finish his work. So do not say there's still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, notice he's gonna invite them to be a part of his mission. Lift up your eyes and look into the fields for they are already white for harvest. Jesus, what are you here to do? And he says, I'm here to finish my father's work. Well, what's the father's work? The father's work is I don't want anyone to perish. I love the world so much that I gave my son to die for them. And Jesus says, I'm here to do my father's business and I am here to finish his work. That's why John 10 and 10, the last part is powerful. When Jesus says very bluntly, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Or look at Luke 19 and verse nine when Jesus was talking to Zacchaeus and he told him that today's salvation was coming into his house. And look what he said in verse 10. The son of man has come to seek and to save those who were lost. Now I know that's simple to understand, but I want to, you to just bask in that moment. If we were to ask Jesus, why did you come to this earth He would say to Zacchaeus, I came to this earth because I wanted to seek out and to save those who were lost. And so we go back to Acts. In the beginning of Acts, that question is proposed to us, not in a question form, but it's proposed to us of what does it mean? It says this is all the things Jesus did in the beginning what is the book of Acts about? In other words, if Luke is about everything that he began, what's the book of Acts about? Well, man gave Acts its name. Okay, the name, the Acts of the Apostles, is not inspired of God. Man gave that name. So what did man think that it was about? Scholars read this book and said, it's a book about the Acts of the Apostles. Is it? Kinda. But for just a moment, let's be critical. Is it really about the Acts of the Apostles? Because it rarely mentions the Acts of many different Apostles. As a matter of fact, it doesn't follow most of the Apostles. All of the Apostles are mentioned at least in a list, and many of the rest of them are not mentioned in any other way in the book, the Acts of the Apostles. So then you say, well, it follows a few of the apostles. Well, in the first part, it follows Peter some, but it doesn't give like a life description of the apostle Peter. Or in the latter half of the book, it follows Paul some, but it doesn't give a life description of the acts of Paul. And so what is this book really about? Acts could perhaps be named acts of God working with his people. You see, the reason in this first part of the book that he could talk about Luke and he could say the gospel of Luke was only about the beginning of all that Jesus said and did was because the book of Acts shows us a glimpse of all the other things that Jesus is going to continue to do through his people. Listen, Jesus is just as live and active in the church today as he was when he was active in the life of his disciples when he was on the earth. It just looks different but he's still alive, he's still active. It's still the works and the teaching of Jesus that make up the church today, if in fact we're what we ought to be. And so on these next couple of slides, not that we can develop it, but I'd like for you to just think about it. What is the book of Acts about? It's about God, it's about God working in the people on this earth. For example, Acts 1. We see there the apostles staying because Jesus told them to stay and to wait upon that Holy Spirit that would be poured upon them. Acts 2, what is this about? It's about what can happen when a powerful Holy Spirit is poured upon apostles. Acts 3, it's about God healing a man that gained attention and gave the opportunity for the apostles to teach and preach. Acts 4 is about God giving Peter great boldness to stand even in the midst of danger. Acts 5 is about God punishing liars. Acts 7 is about Jesus standing and opening up the heavens so a man on earth who is standing for him and about to die would be encouraged to see God standing for him. Acts 8 is about the Spirit sending Philip to reach and to preach the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 9 is about Jesus reaching out to Saul Acts 10 and 11 is about God sending Peter to the Gentiles. Acts 13 is about the Spirit sending Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey. Acts 18 is about God telling Paul to stay in Corinth when he wanted to pull out early. Acts 20 is about the Spirit making elders. Acts 27 and 23 is about God delivering Paul safely through the shipwreck. Acts 28 and 31 is the last verse in the book of Acts and it is about the twin themes that it says Paul continued to preach. He continued to preach about God's kingdom and the things concerning Christ. That is the twin themes that went all throughout the book of Acts and it goes all throughout the work of the church even today. It's about the kingdom of God and the things concerning Jesus Christ. What is this book of Acts? The book of Acts is somewhat of an invitation, if you will, to become a part of a movement that believes that the world can be reached through Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is not about a country club invitation. Can you come and join this group and give generously? And it's a great place to raise your family. They'll have higher morals. It's a great place to have good friends. They're just good people. It's not a society. It's not a club. What the book of Acts teaches us over and over and over again is that the church is for those who want to be saved, that want a relationship with God, and they're willing to join the mission to take that mission to the world beginning in their world beginning where we live when we go back and we look again at the first few verses of acts the first chapter and this isn't all the verses this is just some highlights i want you to see something here that i want you to just take it as i say it and not fill in more than what i say in acts the first chapter In verse 1, we've already seen that it's all about, when he talks about Luke, the gospel of Luke, it's all about what Jesus began to do and teach. And he says in verse 2, it's until the day in which he was taken up because that's where the gospel of Luke ends. But in verse 4, he now in Acts commands the apostles to stay in Jerusalem because there's gonna be something great that takes place in Jerusalem and he had to have them there for that. And then in verse five, he tells them that they're gonna be baptized by the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we learn in verse seven that that Holy Spirit's going to bring power for them to do something. Now let me pause here for a moment. The apostles are gonna need the power to do something that they can't do without that power. In other words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to give them the power to do something great. Now pause here. And I want to give a disclaimer. I believe Acts 2 is one of the most beautiful chapters in all the Bible because it is the establishment of the Lord's church. The Lord's church did not exist before Acts 2. And it began in Acts 2. And everything that we claim to be today goes back to that point in time. And so I love that, and the distinction of the Lord's church is powerful, and it's beautiful, and we want to be a part of her, and nothing more, and nothing less, and we don't want to take anything from her, and we don't want to add, we just want to humbly say, Lord, I want to be a part of you. I want to be a part of the ones you call out. I want to be called out. I want to be saved. I want to be put to work among your people. And so friends, I'm telling you, I love the church and and I want to hold the church up exactly the way God would want us to hold the church up. So what I'm about to say to you is not to take away from the importance of the church. But if I were writing Acts, the first chapter, what I would probably say is that they needed the power of the Holy Spirit as it's talking about in in verse five and verse six and verse seven is then I would probably say because I know what's coming in Acts two, I would probably say because after all, they're gonna need the power of the Holy Spirit to establish the church. And that'd probably be a true statement, but that's not what he said here. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse eight and see what he said. Why did they need this power? Why did they need this miraculous power? Notice what he said in eight, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we go to Acts the second chapter and what happened? They were baptized by the Holy Spirit and they had these miraculous powers and what were they able to do? They were able to preach about the resurrected Lord and they convicted people of their heart and people cried out, what shall we do to be saved? And they were told to repent and be baptized. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And what happened? 41, all those that received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were what? They were saved. They were added to them. Now was that establishment of the church? Absolutely it was establishment of the church. But why did they need that power? They needed that power to be able to get this message out of salvation. The beginning of the church was a day of magnificent evangelism. The day of the beginning of the church was all about let's take the, saved, the lost and let them know about the Savior who can save them. And so in chapter 1, he doesn't say, you're going to need this power of the Holy Spirit so you can establish the church. But instead, he says, you're going to need the power of this Holy Spirit because you're going to be my witness. A witness is one that sees and can bear witness that it is true. But in the Greek, it has a more powerful meaning. I'm not making this up. In the Greek, the word witness is the very same, the very same word as martyr. And Jesus is saying, I need you to be the ones that will stand for the truth at all costs. You'll sell out completely. You will buy the truth and never sell it. You will stand for the truth no matter what the cost. And what did these apostles do? The only apostle that we think might have died a natural death was John. And every one of them fulfilled what Jesus asked that day. When he said, I want you to bear witness, he's saying, I want you to stand for the truth even if it cost you your life. And every one of them, as far as we know, every one of them gave their life. To do what? To do what? Look down there at verse eight again. To bear witness in Jerusalem. And what did they do once they reached Jerusalem with the gospel? And then to the rest of Judea. And once they reached Judea, what did they do? They went north to Samaria. And once they took the gospel to Samaria, where did they go? To the rest of the parts of the world. Friends, that's what the book of Acts is about. The book of Acts is about the purpose of the church, it's to join and to couple with the power of God to take the gospel. To all of the parts of the world. The very idea that someone would say, you know, I'm, I'm just not big on, on trying to reach out and, and help other people learn about the Lord, but I tell you what, I really love being a part of the Lord's church. It's oil and water. Those two can't mix. That is literally the beginning of the church. The church is made up of people that by the grace of God, they're saved, but they're people that have left the world by the grace of the God and by the blood of Jesus Christ, they've been forgiven, they've been sanctified, they've been brought over here with the saved to do the work with Jesus. Jesus, why are you on this earth to finish His work? Jesus, why are you on this earth to seek and save those which are lost? Jesus, why are you on this earth? to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus, why are you on this earth? Don't you know that I must fulfill my Father's business? And then what does he offer us? He offers to save us if we want to join him in his cause. And so when we look at this next slide, i just show it to you just more as a visual image. But when you think about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what's the book of Acts. You know, have you ever noticed that when you're driving across the country that roads will all come into one point to cross a large river or a canyon or whatever it may be? And and then once you cross that river, it opens back up. It's almost like in the gospel, the axe is a bridge. It's a bridge that first starts out by saying, let me show you this magnificent work of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, coming to this earth. But let me show you how that translates into people living for the Lord, people taking the gospel. And once we recognize as a human race how to do that in the book of Acts, it spreads. It's like a shotgun effect. And we see very quickly as we go into the rest of the New Testament, as we see that the gospel is taken everywhere. Why? Why was it taken everywhere? It wasn't because a few men sat down and said, I've got an idea. This is such a good message. Let's take it other people. No. It was taken everywhere because from the day the church was established, that was the premise of what the church would do. The church was made up of saved people that wanted other people to be saved and they believe that's the very reason that Jesus came to this earth and they believed that they were joining forces with the master to finish the master's work and how arrogant we are to lay down the brush and say, I don't want a part of this. I want to be saved, but I don't want to be a part of your work and it just won't work. And so today I ask you, what have we learned? Number one, we've learned that Christ's mission was to seek and to save the lost. Number two, we've learned he continues to accomplish this through the church. And number three, he's asking for help. Will you help him? He's not going to force anyone in the church to be what He asked you to be. But He is asking. He's asking you to come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Who who are in yokes? Working creatures are in yokes take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in spirit and you shall find rest rest from your sins but not rest from work we're relieved from the guilt of our sins so that we can join up with the work of the Lord to tell others how they can be relieved from the guilt of their sins too so someone says you're a member of the Lord's church why? why? not to kill time and not just to wait for a heavenly home but let's be a part of the Lord's church because we want to help our Savior finish His work and He's just as active today in His work as He was when He was on this earth in flesh we can either partner with Him Or turn our back on Him. This morning, if we can help you in any way, what we want to be is just what we studied. We want to be God's people. We want to be saved. And we want to help other people have that same relationship with God. And we're trying to figure it out. It's not easy to try to figure out how to save your neighbor, it's not easy to figure out exactly how to take the gospel to your home. It's not easy to know how to take the gospel to America as it seems like America's leaving God. It's not easy to know which countries to go to and how to go to them. But I can tell you this, we're serious about it. We want to fulfill the mission that God gave us. If you want to be a part of that mission this morning, it's the Lord's invitation, it's not ours. And if you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins because you're a believer and you want those forgiveness of sins and you're willing to repent of sins and confess Him, we would love to assist you with that. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you've lost sight of what that journey's all about. And maybe this morning you feel that guilt and that's a good thing. And you want to do the right thing with that guilt and you want God's forgiveness This morning, if you're ready to repent and pray forgiveness, if if we can help you, we want to help each other together in this great work that the Lord has allowed us to be privileged to be a part of. If we can help you this morning, come